and welcome to the American Truck Driver Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Polk, alongside Larry Long, and we are going to talk today about the state of trucking companies in 2019 and how the mighty fall. Uh, We've seen a lot of stories in the media of late about companies that are closing and shutting their doors. There's a lot of a lot of blame going around as to who's responsible for these companies failing. And if you listen to episode 49, when we talked about Larry's story and how Blue Ribbon Logistics got started, we we talked about some things in there about managing expenses and the type of trucks that we bought and buy and operate and the age of those trucks. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about what makes Blue Ribbon successful and why we are not uh, in fear right now that we're not going to be able to continue to operate in this shaky environment because it is very possible that rates could go down, will go down. You know, we're seeing now a little bit of stabilization in the market. There's still too many trucks. Freight rates are not, relatively speaking, compared to other years, all that bad. There's just too many people fighting for the available freight. So what we're seeing and what we expect to see is we'll probably get a little bit of a bump up through the holiday season. And we have a potential of a really, really bad January, February, and March. That's just a normal trend. And when you have a market like this, we're going to see more companies fail. We're going to see more drivers lose their jobs. And so we want to talk about, number one, I believe uh, I believe Larry will agree with me on this, that uh, these trucking companies should see this coming. And I think drivers, we'd like to give the drivers some tools to be able to look around and see if your company's in trouble so that you don't get a surprise one day that you go into work one day and, you, and the, you know, the doors are locked or maybe you try to get fuel and there's no, there's no fuel money. So this is going to be a little bit about keeping a company stable in difficult times. I'm going to start here with an article that came out on August 4th. It's, it was uh, by TransportationNation.com. I'll have a copy of that in the show notes for you. And the headline, quote, stay away from brokers, warns owner of recently closed trucking company. The owner of a recently shuttered trucking company says if he could go back and start his trucking business again, he would stay away from brokers. Mr. Singh was the owner and CEO of the Dallas, Texas-based Dallas Freight Systems and says he was forced to close the company on June 29th. I was forced to make a very hard decision, Singh recently told TNN. The company, which employed almost a dozen drivers along with several contract owner operators, was founded in 2010. He says rates were going so low, I was losing twenty to $25,000 each of the last six months. During the profitable times, Singh says it was routine to get $1.80 per mile, but he began hauling freight for as low as $1.10 per mile back in the fall of 2018 to keep his drivers working and paid. We were forced to pick up cheap freight because we had the responsibility to help feed our drivers' families, but we cannot haul freight for $1.20 per mile and stay in business. Add to this the fact his insurance costs were set to skyrocket from $1,200 per month per truck to $1,600 per month per truck, and Singh says he has no choice. So, Larry, let's... I think we can probably take this article apart a little bit. I think there's some things in here that we can see that would, you know, lead to this, uh, this conclusion. Would you agree that this insurance thing is probably the most significant? Well, industry wide, I think it is in his case, and we're talking 25%. I don't, I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, it's a big pill to swallow, but still, I don't, think that that by itself would have put him out of business you know now there's a lot of new entrants people that get in their authority for the first time where the insurance is is i mean it's it's gone you know a, a multiplying factor of, of four and five you know so I, I think he had other issues the insurance just was a contributor yeah well i, I noticed so what stuck out to me is it, it was routine to get a dollar eighty per mile, and then you have this this uh, uh, this insurance issue. It also had uh, he had four out of service in two years and sixteen inspections, so he had a twenty five percent out of service. So that doesn't. And there's another blaming. I just noticed this. The reason my maintenance record was so high was because of owner operators. They didn't want to take care of their trucks. Singh commented. Though Singh said he took action and cleaned up my whole fleet, he also conceded these scores don't go good right away. We're a small fleet, leased to Landstar. We have a lot of the rate that goes to Landstar, and we still do better than $1.80. 
there's, I believe, this horrible misconception in the industry that Landstar is an expensive carrier to run for. Drivers will say they take 35% of my money. Uh, why would I go to a carrier and give away 35% of the rate uh, when I could go out on my own and get all of the rate? Why don't you take that argument apart and explain why being leased to a carrier and having your own authority are not apples to apples comparison? Well, as you mentioned, the 35% at first glance seems to be a large percentage of the income. But when you consider all of the things that you have to do when you have your own authority that you're responsible for now, I have found it difficult to do those things and do them to the level that they're expected to be done and be able to do it for anything less than that. You see, when you get your own authority, even if you're a one-truck operation, you're expected to have your compliance and your regulatory items, you know, as, as, as completed as it, just as well as the big fleets do. And with a one-truck operation, you're driving down a road, you're trying to book loads, you're trying to deliver loads, you're, you're doing the day-to-day operation. You know, to do the compliance and regulatory stuff, you have to do that when you're not driving. And we all know that if something's going to get let go, that's going to be what it is. And the big guys, they have entire departments dedicated to that. You know, they have an entire department that just does nothing but logs and log auditing and log compliance and safety. All those things that now you, you as an as a individual truck owner, operator, you have to have a safety program. You have to have a maintenance program. You have to have a drug consortium you're a part of. You have to have all these things have to be done just exactly as good as the big guys do, and that costs money. If you don't have the time or the expertise to do it yourself, you have to pay somebody to do it. And somebody that you would have to pay that can do it, again, well enough to keep you out of jail, is going to cost a pretty good amount of money. So that's the first argument, is that you, you know, to, to be in compliance to the level, to, to, the, to the comfort and security of knowing that it's being handled correctly, uh, costs money. Uh, the second factor that I think most people uh, don't realize is that the length of time between the time you do the work and the time you get paid. It's not anything, it's not unusual at all for a company to take 90 days to pay a, an invoice. Uh, 30 days would be the best. Uh, somewhere between there would probably be average. So if you can't stand to wait 30 to 90 days or in some rare cases not ever get paid, for the work you do, then you have to do what we call factoring in this industry. And that's where you sell your invoices to another company for a percentage. They front you the money and they go collect it. And then if they don't collect it, they could come back on you. Or if you give them enough of your percentage, then they will take the risk uh, whether they get paid or not. That's like a payday loan is what that boils down to. So you take a you take your 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 broker and you beat him up over a nickel a, a, a mile and then you turn around around and willingly give that nickel a mile away to a factoring company because you don't have enough money to be able to last a payday so that seems a little a little bit stupid to me um, and then of course the other things that uh, uh, you know the um, I mean just the just the the, the accessibility to freight the uh, the reduced cost of insurance uh, because uh, a, a big fleet is going to have a substantial discount policy uh, or discount program with their insurance carrier uh, based on volume, based on safety of that company. Um, and, of course, the other thing, um, to most businesses, most trucking companies, fuel is the number one cost. And uh, even though you can get a fuel card as, an, as a uh, single truck authority, uh, it's usually nothing like the card, the discount that the big fleets get. So when you add all that up together, the 35% is not a bad deal. And um, also, if we look at the numbers from last year, and everybody agrees that last year was the best year ever in the industry, uh, ca- um Individual owner-operators that were leased to a carrier, uh, by and large, made more money than individuals with their own authority. 
in the best year in the trucking industry. So it's not just an opinion. The facts back it up. Yeah. We have a tendency in this business to always be looking for greener grass. And it's tempting because we're marketed to, at every possible opportunity, uh, to, hey, come drive for us. We'll treat you better. We're, we, we're the best fleet to drive for. We, we have the best equipment. We have the best customers. We have the, we have the best of everything because we're drivers kind of out on an island by ourselves. We can talk ourselves into a lot of really hasty, risky decisions. I believe that being partnered with a carrier, I think I'm, I think I may have just decided now to start using the word partner instead of lease to partner with a carrier that has market share, that has brand awareness, that has the infrastructure to take a lot of risk off of my back to provide me with valuable services like a trailer fleet, 50 cent fuel discounts, tire discounts, other, you know, business product discounts, and really kind of an 800 pound gorilla if you ever end up uh, in front of a bunch of lawyers. Well, true. Lawyers like to go for the deep pockets. And when you've got a name on your door, that's not XYZ, you know, trucking company, but a big recognizable name takes a lot of the liability off of you because they're not going to concern be concerned about what you've got. They want yeah. they want what uh, Schneider's got, you know. Um, lawyers won't wake up for less than a million dollars. So if you don't have that right. in your bank account, they're not going to pretty much bother you. So, and the other thing you said that I left out a while ago was the trailer fleet. You know, most people, you know, with authorities have to go buy. I mean, you can't have tow, you know, um, towaway leases or or. Uh, tow only leases but most people with their own authority have trailer and so you've got the additional cost of the trailer maintenance of the trailer you know when you're leased to a company and uh, you know you've got the use of their trailers that's a significant difference in maintenance costs yeah and investment well and and we see being leased to landstar there is a a hotly debated topic of do i own my own trailer or do i use the landstar trailers and this is mainly for vans Right. And people on both sides of this are very passionate. You know, well, I, I get I get more trailer revenue and I don't ever have to worry about something being wrong with it because I take care of my own trailer. But then you lose drop and hook freight. We have people who are very, very specialized with their van trailers and their flatbed platform trailers. So they they create situations where there's stuff that we can haul that they can't because their trailer's so specialized with the equipment they can't haul some general freight. And so I'm not going to say either way that you that you absolutely should buy your own trailer or you absolutely should not buy your own trailer, but you have to look at your own operation and what makes you profitable. What makes us profitable is being able to drop and hook, run multiple loads, have that trailer fleet. Yes, sometimes we have to deal with, I just had a trailer fix today uh, that some jack wagon dropped somewhere with the ABS light on, and, and so I had to take it to the shop and get it fixed but you know it's fixed and i don't have to worry about it now but we could i could not do what i do if we couldn't drop and hook you know my, my it takes my customer two or three days to load my trailer so there's no way if i had my own trailer in there i guess i could drop it in there and let them have it for two or three days but then i'm stuck i can't do anything until they're done so we kind of covered the benefits of being an owner-operator partnered and leased with a carrier. Let's talk a little bit about just the basic operation of the company and how we save money and how we lower expenses and why we drive the kind of trucks that we drive. Okay. Well, I think the kind of trucks we drive is probably the basis of how we run our company because we run our company with a very, very low cost and very low overhead model so that we have the ability to survive and operate in any freight environment, and we're seeing that right now. And I kind of get tickled when people talk about how the how freight is so rates are so down right now. Rates really aren't down; they're just down from last year. They're <laughs> they're not down for, compared to the year before. But either way, you know, this business is going to go through cycles. You know, it probably will never go through the cycle like we had last year again, but it's still going to have its ups and downs. And, 
you, you know, you have to be able to operate in any environment if you're going to stay in business, especially if you have employees and people that depend on you for, you know, for their livelihood. So I started this company in 2009, which was in the middle of one of the worst recessions we'd had in a long time. So I started the company out in a recession and grew it through the recession. And at that particular time, I didn't really, I mean, that was just the model that made sense. I didn't see any sense in changing it. Once the cycle changed and we got into a relatively good, strong economy, which we've had now for a number of years. But what made sense then certainly makes sense now. And probably the reason why the trucking company we were referring to earlier in the conversation is no longer here is because I suspect that their success last year, and he didn't mention this, but I highly suspect that he probably gave a lot of driver raises last year to stay competitive with the, with the industry, uh, to keep his drivers happy when everybody knew that they were making a lot more money. And then when the worm turned and freight rates went back down, you can't take that money back away. And so what happened was rather than take the money away, the, the company went away. To get back to your to your question, you know, we, we operate Blue Ribbon with uh, a business model that we don't invest a ton of money in trucks. We'd rather invest the money in the drivers than in the trucks. Uh, we're leased to an outstanding carrier where we get outstanding discounts on tires and fuel and you know, everything else. We um, spend the money on our trucks to improve the fuel mileage so our fuel cost is as low as we can get it. We indoctrinate our drivers so that they understand why fuel mileage is important and that with me not spending money at Flying Pilot, JTA, and Petro, I have more money to spend on them. And so uh, it's just a combination of keeping expenses low keeping maintenance costs low, again, by the type of trucks that we drive and where we can get them worked on. Uh, we don't have to pay dealership rates to get our trucks worked on. We don't have to wait in dealership uh, waiting rooms for two or three days or weeks at a time to get trucks worked on. Quite frankly, we just don't have a lot of downtime in trucks. We keep moving, keep our drivers moving. And what downtime we have, we try to correlate that to while they're home Uh, doing a reset so then we couple that with the fact that we um, you know we're we're leased to a company where traditionally uh, rates have been uh, better than average at Landstar of course we have the advantage of the low board and the advantage of being able to choose our own freight the advantage of creating our own relationships like you directly with customers so we can basically bring value to the marketplace and we can earn a rate uh, based on how good we are, and we have 100% control of the rate because we're not, you know, we're not tied down to one particular broker or one particular customer. You know, uh, at any given time, there's 30,000 loads on our load board, you know, and 1,500 yeah. different agents. So we can, uh, you know, we can develop relationships with the agents and the freight and the areas that we want to run in. And uh, we can even go out and develop our own direct customers and make them Landstar customers. So those are those are the basically the reasons uh, uh, why we're at Landstar, and also how uh, our business can operate uh, this year just as well as it did last year. Let's go a little bit deeper into these older trucks because I, you know, there are some very very passionate arguments made in favor of. Running a new truck, having a truck under warranty, um, not having, a, you know, the constant breakdowns. I'm using kind of air finger quotes there um, that people say, oh, well, if I get an old truck, it's just going to break down so much that uh, I would be better off with a truck payment. Why don't you go ahead and shred that argument into <laughs> tiny little pieces? Well, first of all, you get that the acquisition cost. A new truck today is one hundred fifty to one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Okay, right off the bat, most people can't write that check, so they're going to go in debt to do it. Debt also brings with it interest. I won't get into Dave Ramsey mode here, but I don't believe that people in this industry can afford to go into debt that far, have that big of a truck payment and the interest payment and the pressure of it and be able to survive in any freight environment, as we're seeing right now, going on in this very moment. 
So the first reason I wouldn't do it is because I don't, first of all, I don't want to spend that much money for a truck. It's, you know, again, remember, I don't come from the trucking industry. You know, I come from a business industry, so I don't have the emotional connection to these trucks like some people might have because that's their, you know, that's what represents their personality. Um, that's not me. My bank account, my wallet, my lifestyle, my house, my family, that's what represents my lifestyle or my personality, not the kind of truck that I own. And so that's probably what makes me different than some of them. But let's just assume that that's, you know, that, that you agree with that argument that uh, going in business and spending $175,000 for a truck doesn't make any sense. Let's, let's, let's take that to the next, to the next level. You can spend $175,000 for a truck and even get a warranty on it, even pay extra for an extra warranty on it, and it still will break down. You'll still be in the shop, and you're liable to be in the shop for two or three weeks at a time uh, because of the fact that the shops don't make that much money doing warranty work, and they don't really want, don't want to do it. I now know that Cummins has a deal now where they have to call Cummins and get some type of guidance before they can even work on the truck. And after two or three different approaches to the problem, if that doesn't fix it, then they no longer cover, cover that repair under warranty. You're on your own. So wow. um, I just heard this the other day from Pittsburgh Power, that they have this program now where they have to call in and get approval to, to, to go down this route to fix this problem. And if two or three attempts don't fix it, Sorry about your luck, you know? So so the warranty to me is worthless because the warranty, first of all, doesn't cover downtime. It doesn't cover loss of income. Um, And um, it it, it just, you know, to me, it it just means nothing to me, the the cost of a warranty. So then let's move on. Uh, The depreciation of the truck for the first year is at least 25%. So if you can't counter that 25% depreciation, we're talking about... Let's see, $40,000 in the first year? Yeah. You know. Um, the acquisition cost of one of our trucks is lost in the first year of buying a new truck. And the depreciation on a $40,000 truck. I mean, for the real depreciation in the marketplace is, is not even measurable. Uh, from a bookkeeping standpoint, you, know, you have three years, three three physical years to depreciate a truck. So, you know, we depreciate one to the tune of about $15,000 a year, but that's just, you know, that's just a tax, you know, benefits all it is. Uh, we can go buy a truck for fifteen dollars or $20,000 and put $20,000 in it, and we could, we could sell that truck a year later and get our money back, you know. No question, no question about it. Maybe, maybe profit even profit the whole time. Maybe even get more. And right, and have spent a year making money with it. You know, so uh, it, it from a business standpoint, it just does not make it. It doesn't. You know, if you if you if you just take the word trucking out of it and move over to bubblegum sales or whatever you want to call it, and you say it's going to cost me one hundred seventy five thousand dollars for the tool it takes to sell bubblegum this year. Or I can go over here and spend $40,000 for a used tool that sells the same bubble gum, delivers it the same way that the other one does. There's no, the customer sees no difference in the level of service or the taste of the bubble gum or how quickly it makes a bubble. You know, right. Then tell me why it makes sense for you to give up that much of your income, of your, of your gross revenue, to pay for that tool when... I can get one a lot cheaper that does the same thing. Now, you're going to say, well, but, but uh, you're spending money on maintenance, and that you're right. But spending money on a truck payment and spending money on the maintenance, both are spending money. The truck payment you're going to have every week, okay, without fail. It doesn't matter what yep. happens. Even if the truck breaks down, you're going to have a $750 a week truck payment, Okay. I can go three or four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, two months, and maybe not have any maintenance cost. Okay? Right. So that doesn't mean that I'm going to spend maintenance money every week. It may or may not happen. We know as a fleet that our average cost for maintenance on our truck is about 15 cents a mile. We know that. So we factor that into our cost of doing business. So we can, you know, we, we can set that money aside. And so when we do have 
a maintenance issue or a problem. We anticipate it. It's not, we're not scratching our head and picking our, you know, our ass and trying to figure out where the money's coming from. You know, we know it's going to be there. So um, I still maintain that I can spend 15, 000, or 15 cents a mile on a $40,000 truck and I can make more money with that truck than you can, you can if you go buy your new truck and run next to me. I, I, every time I will beat you. Here's the other thing. While you're looking for the $3 a mile freight, uh, load freight to, to, to pay for that truck so you can afford to run it, I've already taken a load for $2 a mile and made a profit with it. You know? right. And I can keep t- I can, and I can get another load tomorrow without that truck sitting three days waiting for the other home run to hit. And I can keep it running, and I can run it three, four thousand miles a week with no downtime, and because I don't have to find three dollar, four dollar, five dollar a mile freight to pay the truck, and and to give you something for your effort. Also, when my guys need to go home for home time, or if they want to go home, we and we shut down for the holidays. We don't run during the holidays, you know. Right. Um, don't have to worry about a truck payment. We don't have a truck payment, you know. So yeah. you go pay $175,000 for a truck. Uh, I bet you work during Christmas. I bet you're not home <laughs> very, very long yeah. because the truck payment still has to be made. You know. Well, the first two years that I leased a truck, I was off for two weeks for Christmas. And I worked like an animal all year, staying out four, five, six weeks at a time because we figured out early on with all those, with all those payments – I was I was able to be profitable leasing a truck from a carrier, but I worked my guts out. And that whole two weeks that I was home enjoying the holiday, that truck was in my mind. It was in my brain. I could not disconnect from it. I could not get away from it because I knew that file was piling up. And when I got back, all those deductions were sitting there waiting on me. You know, and it I had to work just two weeks just to dig out of the hole. Another thing that I probably didn't hit on enough is that it's easy today with all of the information that's out there to to do the research and buy a truck without you know you 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 don't have to just buy the first one you see coming down the road you know you can take the time and research it do the rig dig report pull the ecm report get an oil sample there's all thing all these things you can do that will help you buy the right truck so that you know you're not buying somebody else's problems. I know that's going to be some people's complaint is they go, well, you're just buying somebody else's headache, and and that may or may not be true. There's a lot of fleets that just automatically sell trucks at 400,000 miles. You know, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that they had a problem with them. And and again, it's so easy to find out where the problem trucks are by just doing your homework. You know. Um, yeah. I know, you know, right now is actually a very good time because there's a whole lot of guys that are fed up with the ELD. They're fed up with the regulations. They're fed up with the rates. You know, uh, it's going to be a really, really good time to buy used trucks later on this year and next year as good trucks come on the market because their owners can't afford to keep them out there, keep them running. So, <clears throat> something that that I thought about as you were talking is, you know, we have a truck that we we will eventually tell the story of how we got this truck and what we went through to get it on the road. We'll change the names to protect the innocent. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and the guilty. Exactly. And uh, here's an example. We bought a truck we thought was one thing, and we end up finding out that it was something else. And even still, that truck still came in at that lower acquisition cost than what you would lose in a year of depreciation a new truck. on a new truck. Exactly. And so even the worst case scenarios aren't as bad. The, the, the depths of, of how far you can go down, because if we would have had bought a hundred thousand dollar truck, instead of a $10,000 truck and had the the problems that we had to overcome with this truck. Yeah. We would never ever recover. That that truck could never be profitable. And, ever. And if we were one truck operation it would have put us out of business. Absolutely. You're right. 
and um, we lo- we learned a lot doing that. And, and again, it'll be a good story sometime. But the the bottom line is what you just said. We still have less in it that people will have the first year depreciation of buying a new truck. Right. And you know that truck and and it's done. It's we're it, done. It's it, yeah. It's yeah. done. It's done. You know. Yeah. It's it's busting bugs and making money. Matter of fact, yeah. the guy that's driving it is sitting right in front of me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that circles up to another another issue of I will see Lane Star Facebook groups, I'll see it rate per mile masters, I'll see it freight broker groups. <sighs> Driver uh, operators, owner operators will complain uh, about shops with good reason. Because shops are a nightmare; they're a mess. the the the, the service industry, the service part of the trucking industry, is just an absolute mess. Harder but, to find a uh, shop than it is to find a driver. Yes, but you can do it. You know, you can find those shops and you can build those relationships. I mean, y'all, I had a guy working on my truck at four o'clock this morning. You know. He, he went to work at the TA at probably 8 o'clock yesterday morning and left at 4 a.m. because my truck had to be done. And he stayed there until it was done. And it's now done. And that level of service is hard to come by. Absolutely. You know, and, and, th- and this guy uh, is just, he's so incredible that he's looking at our trucks and I'll get a phone call and Hey man, now I found something here that I need you to, I need you to know about. Uh, let's go ahead and fix this now because it's going to be a problem in a week or a month or two months. And I say, absolutely go ahead and fix it. And what these things end up being, these are not $500 things he's finding. They're five and $10 things that he's finding. They're not right now, but they would be on the side of the road. But when they're on the side of the road, they're going to be a thousand dollar problem, and he finds them when they're ten dollar problems. You know, just just little. Oh, this wire's rubbing something here. This airline's rubbing this frame rail. We better get that turned around. And so, you know, absolutely, I'm willing to pay him the twenty dollars worth of labor or whatever it is to address that problem. But without that relationship, you know, and so here, I mean, here's a TA that pe- people hate. TA, you know, they hate TA and they hate Petro. Um, our best shop in the United States of America is a TA. Is a TA. <laughs> it's true. We've had, we have literally had to take, I picked up a truck at a Freightliner dealer. I took it to TA and TA had to fix it and make it right. I mean, y'all folks, that's the world we live in now. I call, I called the Freightliner dealership and made them take it off the bill because the and TA had to fix pay, it. <laughs> because TA had to fix it. They had to pay yeah, for it. That's right. It, it's, it's crazy. So, Yes. If you have an old truck, you have to create relationships yes. with shops. You yes. have to – there's more you have to do. But you have to get away from this idea that, oh, well, I'll get a new truck and everything will be okay. You know, well, I, I won't have to worry about that if I have a new truck. Okay, well, let me know how that goes when they tell you it's a six-week back order on parts and you don't have a truck for a month and a half. And if you think that new trucks don't break down, sometime when you got a chance, drive over to a dealership – and hang out for about 30 minutes. Go in the driver lounge. Ask him what your trucks are driving. Walk around and see what's yeah. coming in on the tow truck. You know, if, if, if that's what you think, then I'm sorry. I, and I, I understand not, you know, not being from the trucking industry. That I, to me, that was kind of counterintuitive until I realized, you know, until till I learned. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, is, it is counterintuitive. It I is. mean. You know, you didn't get to experience this, but there was a time a friend of mine and I were running team and, and uh, we we're going to buy a truck together, um, you know, and let's all remind ourselves of what Dave Ramsey says, the only ship that won't sell is a partnership. <laughs> but we walked into a Freightliner dealer and said, we'd like to look at ordering a truck. And so this old boy reaches over and gets his yellow legal pad and he says, well, let's start with what kind of truck do you want? And I said, we want a classic Freightliner. He said, okay, what color do you want? And we said, we want bright yellow. And we went through and we listed the number of gauges we wanted. We listed the transmission and the rear ends and the tires and the wheelbase and everything. I mean, we could custom order this truck to any possible specification. We could pick Cat, we could pick Cummins, we could pick Detroit. The we could have Rockwell rear ends and an Eaton transmission. We could have anything we wanted. Go into a dealership now, 
yeah. and tell them you want to order it just like you want it. Good luck to you. Because the state of the market has changed with these regulations. Now they, you know, Packard's Pac making Packard motors and Freightliner's got Detroit and all this stuff is becoming down to one OEM because in order to make it run and be halfway reliable, everything's got to be OEM. And I think that's probably why Freightliner is probably winning now uh, in the long run because they brought everything in-house. The motor's in-house, the transmission's in-house, the rear ends are in-house. The whole thing is, is Daimler from, from tip to tail. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing is they've got this fleet fuel mileage target that the federal government has imposed on them that they have to meet uh, in a couple of years. So the, you, I heard a guy on the radio the other day saying he went into order truck just like you. He's a heavy all guy. He, his regular freight is like 140 or 160,000 pounds, regular freight, okay? He could not order the rear ends he wanted for that truck because the engineers wouldn't put it in there because that would not meet that, – that, there is a standard that they won't let a truck get ordered that will vary too much from what this, mile, this fuel mileage yeah. uh, target is going to be. He couldn't pay the money and get what he wanted. He had to pay the money and get what they wanted him to have, you know. Yeah. So Yeah. And and those heavy haul guys are in a are in a rough position because those trucks are abused more than than any other truck. I mean, they they really take a beating. So I'm I I don't know this for certain, but I would assume that there's probably a shorter lifespan for a a truck that pulls 200,000 pounds, you know, than what we do run around pulling 80. Oh, you know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's got to be and, harder on suspension and everything. Driveline, yeah. everything, you know. So it's, uh, you know, I, I have I have lived personally this nightmare. I had a 2011 Peterbilt, and in seven months cost me $50,000 in repairs and downtime and lost revenue, you know. And every time that I thought, okay, I've, I've got past it, and I'd book an eight or $10,000 load. You know, back in the day, that was going to Canada. Mm-hmm. That was big money. And I thought, okay, and I... And I would book that big load, and I'd make it three-quarters of the way through the trip, and the truck would break down, and I'd see somebody else drive off with my big load, <laughs> you know? And it was – it got to the point where the last time that truck broke down uh, in 2013, um, and I lost an $8,000 load going to Canada, and I walked in – I was in a hotel for two days, and I walked into the shop foreman, and I said, uh, can you tell me – what why it quit and he said no nah, i don't have a clue I mean, he's like we changed a fitting and a hose and we plugged the computer up to hey but hey it's running now hmm. and i said no nah, i'm done you know and i went and bought an 07 and, and operated that truck from you know four years um but it's it, there's nothing more demoralizing there's nothing it just rips your guts out um to then to see those lights pop up on that dash and you know you're done mm-hmm. you know i wonder i'd love to have an answer to this question does the government require the d-rate you know does does the regulation call for if this thing is not putting out the right emissions it has to be shut down you know because you know the old joke is the best way to fix a check engine light is black electrical tape you know so if they didn't do that and the and the catalyst wasn't working right or the DPF wasn't working right and the lights are flashing, well, we would just mash the throttle and keep on going. So it would be nice to know if that's a decision on behalf of the manufacturers to make them do that or if they're required by the state. I, I would say maybe, but, you know, even in older trucks, you know, if you get one where the thermostat sticks and it gets to running hot, it'll derate even back then, you know, uh, older trucks, and that has nothing to do with emissions. So I don't, yeah. some of it's got to be for engine protection. Probably. You yeah. know. Well, and you, there was something you said earlier about that Cummins thing. Um, looking back now and understanding trucks better the way I do now, uh, that truck, that Peterbilt with an ISX was eating coolant, hmm. you know, a gallon or two a week. 
And so I think probably it had a dropped liner, blown mm-hmm. head gasket, uh, busted EGR cooler, something. And that's what was plugging up my DPF and, and screwing up my catalyst. Mm-hmm. But one of the last times that it broke down, they're like, well, we're going to get you in con- contact with the Cummins rep. And so this guy walks into this driver's lounge. I, I'm somewhere, Missouri, I think. And he goes, hi, I'm, I'm the Cummins rep. And uh, he hands me this piece of paper, and it's got all this grid work on it. And he says, uh, I would like you to track the oil and coolant usage for me, um, and then we can try to get a determination. And Well, I just pulled my phone out of my pocket, and I'm like, well, here's a spreadsheet. I can tell you for the last six months how much oil and coolant it's been using. And he looked at me like I had three heads. Sure. You know, and I said, but I can tell you how much it's been using. I've right. been telling everybody that would listen right. how much it's been using, but nobody can fix the damn thing. When I started operating my 2007, when I would hear noises and smell things, well, I know what that is, you know, hmm. uh, your, your truck with your rear ends. I mean, you obviously 1.65 million miles. You know, you know every rattle and squeak that truck makes, but you instantly knew there was something wrong with your truck, mm-hmm. and you called me. Hey, I, man, I hear this squealing noise, and we found it. It was a rear end, and you got it fixed twice, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> twice. <laughs> Picking the dealerships. Yeah, yeah, the dealerships. But the the unknown factor is gone. There's just only so many things. Yeah, you know, there's just only so many things. That it can be. So let's see. Let's let's recap. So we've covered being leased to a carrier versus having your own authority. We've covered running old trucks versus new trucks. Is there anything else that you would say that is is what makes Blue Ribbon successful and more importantly keeps us from living in fear? Because we don't. We we don't have constant fear. We have a lot of peace about this company. I, I would say that. Part of it is because we've been able to attract pretty good people all along. You know, it, 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 our, our model, it, I, I got interviewed today by a, a magazine, and his, his, his biggest curiosity was that how do you get drivers to drive 10-year-old trucks when all these other companies have got these brand-new trucks they push out there? And I said, well, it's not easy, but it's simple. I said, you know, our drivers, the, the, you know, we're, we're looking for guys who this is their dream to, to, to own their own truck and more importantly than own their own truck, but to have a successful business so they can have that peace you speak of, you know. Um, and the best way I can coach someone to have a successful business is to do things with business being the reason to do them, not emotion, not anything else other than what makes business sense. So when we're looking for a driver, we're looking for someone who you know, is going to basically pattern themselves after us and, and use our success to springboard them into their success. So I think what makes this thing work is that we're able to find guys that want this success and realize that probably they would not have been successful if they did it the way they thought they were going to do it. We've got a driver right now. You know, he's, he's, he, he, he dreams of having a classic, you know. And, you know, he's been with us for a couple of months now, and, and I, we've probably talked him off that ledge now a couple of times because he sees now working with us how that would be a mistake and just yeah. a fuel mileage alone, just in fuel costs alone. So, you know, it, what, you know, I think it was a, uh, a Zig Ziglar quote. Um, I'm a big fan of, a, of an insurance guy back in the eighties that the name was Art Williams. He's a football coach. His philosophy was that he called it pushing up people. You know, if you make enough people successful, you cannot be anything but successful. And this, this piece comes from the fact that our business model is to help make other people successful. You know, I'm at the point in my life where I don't really need to do this. I don't financially need to do it. Um, I'm sure that helps a little bit because I don't, you know, I don't have to, I'm not, I'm not struggling for money to make money. And, and I'm, the st- I'm the financial stability of the company. 
But what makes me get up and, and go to work every day and want to do this and, and want to sit and talk to you on the radio for two and three hours at a time is because I um, enjoy seeing the success that we have given other people and that and maybe they would have maybe they would have done it maybe not i don't know nine out of ten first time on rappers fail so my guess yeah. is that no they would not have made it you know but having worked with us having l- listened to my philosophy and 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 spent a year or two practicing our philosophy driving our trucks and then letting them go on and buy their own trucks and continue on with the knowledge that we gave them. Um, it's just, I enjoy getting those phone calls from these guys and telling me how they're doing. You know, uh, I just, the, one, the first driver I ever had uh, called me a couple weeks ago. And he's just, he's doing, he's doing crazy. Landstar, he's not the most motivated driver I ever had, but he's still doing fine, you know. Yeah. Um, so that, you know that's that's what gives me um, the uh, th- that's the gratitude that I get out of this, you know. Um, and uh, the other thing is seeing guys like you, where you can come in here and make the kind of money that we're paying drivers. I mean, that, that changes people's lives. I mean, literally, oh, yeah. literally Change changes life. their lives. And so when you can do that, when you know that you have the ability. To do that, it just—I mean, it's—it it kind of—it's—it's uh, it's a sobering thing, but at the same time, it—it—it um, it, it makes you really, really motivated to continue doing what you're doing, you know. And so, yeah. um, I don't—you know—I mean, I think everything we talk about works. Uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody could go out and, and do exactly what we do and it'd be successful. I think what makes us special, though, is the fact that we take all of basically – it's not that we're a nonprofit. We're not. I make very good money doing this. But my drivers make a whole lot more money than me, you know. And so uh, right. I just happen to have enough of them that it doesn't matter. But that that's the part that I think is so unique about this is that, you know, we're willing to share in the – in the profits, share in the knowledge, you know, share in the um, the joy of seeing people change their lives, you know. Yeah. Uh, without getting too corny, I just think that that's what ma- that's the secret to this. That's what makes this thing work, you know. And I think that's yeah. why people are attracted to us. You know, I think they see if they spend enough time talking with us, I think they see the genuineness in us and the fact that we're not, you know like anybody else they've probably ever talked to, you know. Yeah. Well, in the last few days, I've probably spent at least two and a half hours on the phone with a lady answering questions for her husband that may never come to work for us. You know, I mean, she called and is trying to find a good a, a good fit for her husband and I've spent two hours on the phone with her. Uh, I don't know if the guy will ever work for us. You know, he might. But I enjoy that conversation, you know, because it helps me, too, because I get to understand what people's questions are. Um, you know, you were talking about changing lives. And when I first came here, I had made such a colossal mess of everything um, and had a track record of making big messes. When I started to see some success and and see bills get made current and 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 money and getting saved and uh you know my wife made some crack about uh you know well you know, thanks to larry and i said okay first larry long ain't driving his truck okay so let's be real clear uh i'm thankful for larry long but i'm turning the steering wheel okay so let's let's give daddy a little bit of credit here because i'm working you know uh I think one thing that we should also cover here in this conversation is lease purchase because I, when I got the itch in 2010, which was the foundation of that was I need to be an owner operator because it's the only way I'm going to make more money than I can as a company driver. And I looked around when my bank account was empty I was not making, I was making enough money to pay my bills. That was it. About $2,800 a month take home. So there was no saving for a truck at my income level. Just, it wasn't happening. 
And so looking around me, I see all these people. Hey, well, come over here. We'll give you a truck. We'll, we'll, here's the keys. Sign right here, and we'll make you an owner-operator. And this is the only industry uh, that I can think of where you people will tell you, look you in the face and say, well, yeah, I mean, I understand you have, you have no money. You have no experience. Uh, here's a $150,000 asset. Here's $150,000 in debt. A truck and a trailer. Here's the keys. Go. You, you can't start a restaurant with no money. You can't build a house with no money. There's, there's, this is the only industry that you can do that. I struggle with it because I did it and it didn't break me. You know, I, I was I did make more money than I did as a company driver by leasing a truck. That that did happen for me. I worked my guts out, you know. I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And I built relationships and and I became the number one guy there and, and that that was on me. That was my achievement. But man, it was hard. It was so hard. It was so difficult. And and even, you know, I get into that third year and I lease that bad truck and, and, and Anderson Trucking Service was good to me and they helped me as much as they could. But uh I'm you know, I, I can't I can't speak ill of them, but there's only so much that they could do. Well, I've heard you talk about your success there was a lot because of your relationship with your dispatcher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And that's a wild card that you have no control over. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very opinionated about lease purchases. Uh, I, as a rule, I think that they're horrible. My conspiracy theory mind has a reason, has, has a, uh, I, I think I know why they're, they are ex- they exist especially in the uh in the big fleets you know i i guess if if everybody if if they didn't have the money to go in business and they wanted to go lease a truck i guess that's one thing the problem that comes in though is when you lease a truck from a company that's in business hauling freight that's those are the ones that are the most problematic yeah. Um, because now that becomes an income stream to them that that's not, they're not in business to do that. And the only reason they do it is because they realize that most of their drivers would, would love to leave there and go be owner-operators. And so they want to keep them there, so they make them owner-operators there through their lease purchase program. And here, here are, in a nutshell, here are the things wrong with the lease purchase program. Number one, you, the, the, until you pay it off, the title is not in your name. And when the title is right. not in your name, you have no control of the truck. And that, as successful as you were, there was nothing keeping them from taking that truck away from you on the last month and not giving right. you the title. Okay? There's nothing keeping them from doing that. Um, and there's... Thousands of stories of that happening. So that's the first thing, is that you are doing all the work. You have all the risk. You're the one that made all the money. And on the last month of the last year, you could lose it all and lose everything that you put into it. That's the number one thing I have wrong with it. The other thing I have wrong with it is that look what you're going to pay for that vehicle. When you add up those payments... I promise you, you're paying at least one and a half, if not two times. The, and then when you, most lease purchases have a balloon payment. By the time yeah. you get ready to make that balloon payment, the truck is not worth what the balloon payment is. You could go buy a truck, a used truck, for less than what your balloon payment is and keep, you know, and, and not do it. So it, 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 it's just, it, it is a, well, it's like buying a car with a credit card. I mean, it's really yeah. what it boils down to, you know, except even with, even if you buy a car with a credit card, you still get the title. It's worse than that. You don't get the title, you know. Forget all the other, you know, uh, stories of fleets 
you know, not wanting you to succeed. And so, you know, after a couple of years, they starve you out and they don't give you the freight. You know, one of the things that I learned years ago, and I've said there's very few things in life that you can always say never, ever do. But I believe truly that the one thing that I can tell you you should never, ever do is never should lease a truck from a trucking company. You know, if you're going to yeah. do it, I mean, if you're, I don't recommend you doing it ever, you know, but if you're going to do it, go lease a truck from a leasing company. That way, if the trucking company that you're with doesn't work out and you can't get the right dispatcher and you can't get the right freight, you can take your, your truck and go somewhere else. If you lease that truck from a trucking company, they're not going to let you leave and take that truck. You know, when you leave, the truck stays with them. So, yeah. you know. And this is going to piss some people off, but if you have no money and you're going to go lease a truck with no money down and no credit check and, quote, a walkaway lease, I think you need to question whether or not you're ready to be in business. You know, no yeah, other, as absolutely. you said, no other business in the world can you do that in. You know, no background, uh, no, no business background, maybe not even uh, any, any truck ownership background. You know, what gets me is when these recruiters call up and they let you come in and you can either be a company driver or you can be a lease operator. Like that's just a choice that you can make, you know. Well, my contention is if you're a company driver and you've never been in business, being a lease operator is really not a choice that you should be given at that point in time. You don't, people don't fail in, in being an owner-operator because they don't know how to drive trucks and deliver freight and back up to docks. They fail because they don't have any idea, you know, the, uh, uh, how to run a business. They think that buying fuel at, the, at wherever they happen to be needing fuel is okay. They don't understand that fuel is, it can be 50 cents a gallon difference on, 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 with four, uh, fuel, uh, four fuel stops on the same corner. You know, uh, so the lack of attention to detail and cost and, and business practices is what pe- put people out of business in the trucking company, trucking business, not the fact that they're not good drivers. So just because you had the choice of being a company driver or a lease operator, that that's not a choice that maybe you should take if you don't have any money in the bank and you have no business experience, you know. So what I would recommend you do in that case is find yourself a good job with a good company where you can make good money. And then, as my old buddy, my old football coach buddy, Art Williams says, make and save money. You know, yeah. when you've got the money saved to go into business, then go in business. And by the way, while you're saving the money, why don't you listen to some books on audio about how to run a business? So that you've got a little bit of background when you start doing this. So you know what an LLC and an S-Corp is and a financial statement or P&L. So all these things are not foreign to you. And you're not on Facebook asking somebody how to do that because now you're an owner-operator and you don't have any idea what the hell you're doing. And I, I think it, it's also important to add that, that people that maybe do have a trucking job where they make good money, when they live in a hyper-consumer environment like the United States – they say, well, I can't save money to buy a truck in, you know, well, I drive per my personal vehicle is a 17 year old Oldsmobile that I paid $800 for. I, I make a hundred thousand dollars a year and I drive an $800 car. So I can, I can tell you that if you didn't have that three or four or five or $600 car payment that in a couple of years, you could have enough money to pay cash for a truck and have enough money to get that truck ready to be on the road in exchange for that shiny pickup truck to impress people at stoplights that you wouldn't like if you knew them, you know. I, uh, I tell a little story. Every time we, dr- we hire a driver, I go to orientation with the driver at Landstar. And this conversation always comes up, and that is that you know, uh, because they have this part of the orientation where they talk about how much money do you need to bring home in order for you to be successful here at Landstar or really anywhere in trucking. And uh, all these guys have all these, you know, they, they have all these, these, these expenses that they've got to cover. And um, one of the things that I point out to them, I'm like, look, some of you guys 
don't need to be in trucking at all. You know, if you've got a Harley and a Cadillac and a bass boat and a, and two houses and and three girlfriends, there is not enough money in trucking to pay your bills. You know, you you need <laughs> you need to get into you know brain surgery or something because this is not going to be for you. Uh, that that's no reflection on how successful your trucking business is going to be. That's just a reflection on what just what choices you make personally. And there's no amount of profit in trucking that's going to fix that. So, um, and getting back to your your comment a while ago about well, I couldn't save money to buy a truck. Well, let me ask you a question: If you can't save money to buy a truck and you go lease a truck, and it you have a you you know you have a breakdown in the first uh, year, how are you going to save money to cover that? If you, I mean, so I mean, if, if you're not able to save money, there is a problem there that has to be addressed before you decide to go into business. And um, there was, I, I saw a guy on Facebook just the other day. You know, he's uh, owner operator, and uh, his engine hydro locked, and he on Facebook, I'm done. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you done? Put a motor in it, you know. But he didn't. He he didn't. He didn't have any money. Couldn't didn't save any money. Had no way of fixing that truck. So he had to go out of business because he had a catastrophic failure. You know. Well, I got news for you. Trucks are going to break down. You know. Trailers are going to break down. And you talk about the big advantage of having a trailer. They're going to break down. You know. They're going to have repair. If you're not saving money, you you know you have to look at the reason why. And you know. Last year, there was so much cash made in this business. You know, smart people last year paid off their debt and put money away because they realized that this was something that's likely never going to happen again in our lifetime in this industry. You know, the people last year that 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 were foolish, they just raised their lifestyle to meet what their income was. They didn't save any money. They just spent it all. And now this year, rates are a little bit down, and now they're down in the mouth because they don't have any money. You know, How do you not have any money if you were in business last year? I, don't, I cannot answer that question. So, You said it, and, and I can tell you from experience that when you spend it faster than it's, than it's being made, uh, and, and, of course, I think, especially in a good market, owner-operators can get complacent and a little cocky and arrogant because I, I remember my wife and I were at a, uh, uh, we were at one of these big appliance stores and we were looking at a new $2,500 kitchen set up, you know, stove and microwave and dishwasher and, you know, and, and the whole thing was like four grand or something. I don't know. And, uh, and I looked at her, you know, now we did not have the money for this stuff. We did. And we didn't need it, you know? We, we had a, a stove and a dishwasher and a refrigerator and a microwave. We, we, we had that stuff. And I said, well, you know, I mean, I'll just go run an extra load this week. You know, I, I can go run an extra load this week, make another thousand dollars. Not a problem. And about a week after those appliances were delivered, there was a shift in the market and all of my little money loads just disappeared. Gone. Um, and all of a sudden I, I can't run these extra loads, they're not there. They're just gone, you know? And, and the anxiety that I had was, uh, you know, it affected my physical health. I, you know, I had heart palpitations. I would lay down at night and my, my heart felt like it was beating out of my chest and it was all stress. It was it was one hundred percent stress and it was one hundred percent self induced. Being owner operator, being a successful owner operator, it is one of the most rewarding things you can ever do. Um, but it can also, when you do it wrong, and I can speak from experience because I've done it wrong, it can be the biggest nightmare you've ever lived. You know, that's not trucking's fault. Well, that's not the truck's fault. No. And that's that's business in general. I mean, I've been in lots of businesses, and you know, it can be very stressful um, because you know, you're so much on the line. You know, um, and it it 
you mentioned this peace thing. You know, peace comes with with uh, with with knowledge and security and confidence. Again, this is a reason why everybody should not be an owner operator at any time. You know, prepare for that. That's a big decision. That's a lot of stress you just talked about. Who wants to stay up all night with heart palpitations? You know, nobody wants to do that. So don't go do a lease purchase and get it over your head if you're not ready to do this. You know, it's it's simply not worth it because again, nine out of ten first timers are going to fail. And there's a reason that they fail, and it's a lack of preparation. So if you want to do this, you know, t- tell yourself, hey, I, this is what I want to do. This is a target when I want to do it. But here's my road to doing that. And that road is going to include saving money and learning about business, you know, um, talking to people who are doing it and finding out what's working and what's not working, you know. Um, hook yourself up with a company like ours where you can kind of earn while you learn, you know. Um, this is this is why we do what we do, so that, you know, so that you can get into business successfully without all the problems, without all the landmines that you're going to get into uh, if you just do it without, you know, without the preparation. Um, I mean, I, listen, I've been there. You know, I, listen, I've had some businesses that, you know, <clears throat> I was up many a night worrying about how I was going to make payroll, you know. So uh, it's, uh, you know, I speak from experience here, you know. But um, I'm just telling you that it, it, there is a way of doing it. There's a way of doing it uh, right and uh, a way of doing it where success is really, really not just an accident. It's predictable and you can be there, but it's going to take preparation. It's not going to take going in and signing on a dotted line with no money down, you know, and that sort of, that's not the way to do it. No, that's not. Well, I think we've covered quite a bit of good information in this, uh, this episode. I think I'll go ahead and end it here. If you have questions about anything that we've talked about here, you can send uh, an email to me, Chris, at blueribbonlogistics.com or Larry, Larry at blueribbonlogistics.com. Have a look at our website, blueribbonlogistics.com. Uh, you can learn about the company. You can see uh, kind of what we do, our blog posts. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Driver, and also facebook.com slash Logistics. If you like the show and like what you hear, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. That uh, helps us. And with that, I believe we will call it a day. Thanks and be safe. And we'll see you next time.